Good morning, everyone. Good to be together this morning. Uh, well, what is it that refreshes you? Maybe you need to have a picture in your mind of what refreshes you, uh, that energises you, that picks you up. Have you got something? Thinking about it right now? Perhaps it's something that gives you a, it, it does, it gives you a feeling of vigour and of well-being. Now, the word for that is a tonic. Tonic. Now, right now, you're probably thinking, yes, a gin and tonic, that does refresh me, doesn't it? Yes, you're right. Yeah, but I'm not thinking that, although that, it could be what your example might be, I don't know. A cup of coffee might be. That's your tonic in the morning. Um, it could be time away. Uh, it could be a swim down the river. It could be a surf up the beach. I know. Listening to music, seeing the grandchildren, uh, an ice-cold beer after mowing the lawn on a hot summer's afternoon. That's a nice tonic, isn't it? So, oh, what's your tonic? I wonder what it is. When we come to uh, Acts, the book of Acts, the famous uh, preacher, 20th century preacher, Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this about the book of Acts. Oh, there we go. John, I'm not working. This is a leave you in suspense about what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Marty to his mates, said. Here we go. Try again. No. I know we should check these things before, but I was on the door doing names, which is quite fun, actually. I quite enjoyed doing names. I got to say hello to all of you as you walked in. Anyway, how are we going, John? Up oh, there we go. Okay, this is what he said. And this is a lovely picture from one of my spots where I, one of my tonic spots if you like. My tonic, Scott's head on a big, big day. So that's a little, by the way, this is a, quite a distraction isn't it? I knew this would happen. That's a little surfer. See how big it is? It's on a huge swell. This is what he said about the book of Acts. Live in that book, I exhort you. It is a tonic, the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the spirit. So as we, as we start this new series in the book of Acts, we're doing today, uh, it's Luke's history of the early church. I pray that this book would energise you. As you read it together, I pray that it energise you, that, it would, that, that God would refresh you in his word, that it would pick you up, that it would revitalise your spiritual vigour and well-being. I pray that it would be a tonic for your souls, that Acts would be a tonic for your souls. So how about I pray that now as we start? Let's pray. Father, we do pray. We ask as we read your word today that it would refresh us and energise us. We pray that it would be a tonic for our souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd love you to have your Bible open in front of you. That would be great. Uh, of Acts uh, chapter 1. In fact, I don't have my Bible. I left it over there, so I'm going to do that for a minute. Acts chapter 1, there's also an outline in your, um, uh, your bulletins. It would be great if you could have that open nearby. Now, I will have a fair bit up on the screen. So I know normally I say to you, bring your Bibles and follow along your Bibles. That's very helpful. Um, today, because just there's a lot of Bible flicking, um, a lot's going to be up on the screen. But uh, you can have both. That'll be extra. You get extra points. There you go. If you have both open in front. We're going to try to have a Q&A at the end. 
So if you have a question or a word of encouragement, you might want to ask, uh, maybe even about more broadly about Acts as well and where we're heading, um, you can be free to do that. What we're going to be doing as usual is following a systematic expository style of preaching. Big words there. Expository just means we take it out of the Bible. We're taking something out, like exit, going out, taking it out. So consecutive, um, understanding the context, section follows on from another section. What we do is we give God the microphone. It's a fun sort of phrase to understand what we're trying to do. We give God the microphone, and it's not me picking and choosing what, what we need to hear. Sometimes we do that, but um, it's just God uh, dictating the terms. We give God the microphone. He speaks to us in the way it was written. Today, though, we're going to take a bit of a step back and we're going to get a wider view as we take the time to prepare ourselves for the next sort of seven weeks and we're going to introduce the book. Actually, it's books. It's two books that the Apostle Luke writes. Uh, Acts is Luke's second book, his biography of Jesus being his first and the Gospel of Luke uh, being his first as we begin, then, it's an important, important question we need to ask, is Luke's purpose in providing this historical account in Acts? So, here's our first big question, why did Luke write? Well, you can turn with me, if you like, to, uh, to Luke chapter 1, verse 1, but I've got it up on the screen. Um, I guess we could call this Luke's introduction to the book, uh, to both books, so, this is what he writes. Have a look. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Okay, so Luke records, in both Luke and Acts, this is like part one if you like, he records the outworking of God's plan. You see that key phrase there, things that have been fulfilled, it's in verse one. Things that have been fulfilled among us. Now that's, that's important, we're going to come back to that a fair few times. His reliable sources are eyewitnesses. So they saw what happened with Jesus. They witnessed themselves. They heard his words. They saw what he did, the miracles and so forth. They're servants of the word. And so he writes to provide an orderly account. Consecutive is a, another word, a consecutive account. This is what happened in the time. And he carefully investigated everything from the beginning so that his readers, in this case Theophilus, uh, would know the certainty of what's been taught. So there's, there's why Luke wrote. Now, if we go to Acts chapter 1, now let's compare the two, shall we? Here's Acts cap chapter 1, and I'll read verses 1 and 2 for you. In my former book, that's the Gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So, Luke's introduction to Acts shows that Luke's purpose, well, it continues, doesn't it? Luke's purpose is to provide a follow-on account. This is just part two. 
That's all it is. The story continues. So Luke, well, the Gospel of Luke is about what Jesus began to do. See that word there? Began to do. And Acts is what Jesus continues to do. Understand? So that's what we need to know first. Why Luke wrote. Okay, let's now consider in a bit more, de- bit more depth, I guess, the connections between the two. The connections between the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Now, if you're a bit of a movie buff, I, I miss, I haven't seen movies for ages, I miss not seeing movies, don't you? miss going to the cinema, I miss that, I, I believe you still can, uh, but it's a little bit different, a bit like church, I suppose. I think the best movies, they come in a series, right? I think that's what they do. The best movies come in a series because you can't wait for the next one after the previous one finishes. I like that. So if you're a a James Bond fan, well, the last few movies have been, uh, well, they've been the the key characters, of course, are James Bond, but the villain or villains are part of a group called Spectre, right? If you've seen those movies. So Spectre, the last three movies, I think it is, all been tied around this villainous group. In the Star Wars films, and I know there's a few Star Wars fans here, so I'm going to choose one example of how, they, how these movies make connections. So remember the end of Empire Strikes Back. If you don't, it's okay. Han Solo gets cryogenically frozen. And then at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, Han, Han Solo is defro- defrosted. Is that how it works? I don't know. I've never been cryogenically frozen. Um, but that's what sort of goes on. There's connections between the two. One more example, um, Lord of the Rings. The key to Lord of the Rings, if the, the, book, the books or the, uh, the movies, is the story, the journey that Frodo and Sam are on. It's great. Now, what about the connections between these two literary epics, Acts or Luke and Acts? As we've seen from Luke 1 verse 1, Luke wanted Theophilus to be clear about the certain fulfilment of God's purposes, the things that have been fulfilled among us. Remember that? So we're going to read, we're going to read again. This is what um, Kath read to us earlier on. What Jesus said to his disciples about this fulfilment and how it's going to take place. And then Acts picks up on that. Uh, And it's recorded at the end of Luke 24. So let's read it. It's up on the screen there, on the left-hand side. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds. So Jesus is talking to the disciples so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Of course, this has already happened. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When we compare these words with the start of the book of Acts, we'll get to that in a moment, part two of the story, it's clear Luke wanted the reader to know how God was fulfilling his purposes as the church grew and, and, uh, and took shape, how God was keeping his promises. That's what Luke wanted his readers to know. He wanted Theophilus to know. The connections between the end of Luke and the start of Acts, well, they are indisputable. Now, Luke has three points of fulfilment in mind as he writes Luke 24 
and as he writes Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at those three points of fulfillment of how God keeps his promises. Okay, here's the first one. You might have noticed it already. Christ suffered, died, rose from the dead. We see it in verse 24, Luke 24 verse 46, and we see it in Acts 1 verse 3, and I've highlighted them up on the screen so you can see it. Notice the, in Luke 24 verse 46, notice that this is what is written. Jesus' suffering, death and resurrection are the things to be fulfilled. And in Acts 1 verse 3, Luke reminds Theophilus that indeed this has been fulfilled. Jesus, what did he do? He presented himself to the apostles alive and gave many convincing proofs. So it has been fulfilled. Acts wants, uh, the, the Luke, at, when he writes Acts, wants us to be clear about that. Now, in Luke 24, verse 47, Jesus makes it clear to his disciples that a command flows from these things. What's the command? Repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name. So we don't just do nothing with Jesus being alive and giving many convincing proofs. Well, repentance and the forgiveness of sins needs to be preached in his name. Our question then is, who should preach this message? Who should proclaim this message? Well, let's look at Acts 24, verse 47, and Acts 6, Acts 1, 6 to 8, in the green. The green comes out fairly well. The answer's there, you see it over there? To all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Who should, pre who should this message be proclaimed to? To all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So Luke reminds us that God expects and oversees, now we'll see how he oversees this soon, the preaching to all the nations, the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. So this proclamation, this proclaiming, this telling of, is also part of the things that need to be fulfilled. Remember that from Acts chapter, uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 1? And, and I think no doubt understanding the message to be proclaimed was a big part of Jesus' teaching that he gave the disciples in those 40 days he was with them after his resurrection. But, there's a bit of a but here, uh, even after such a long and, and privileged period of teaching with Jesus, the apostles still didn't understand that his kingdom will embrace all the nations. See in verse 6, they ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, Jesus' reply challenges their parochialism. He lifts their sights from their own backyard to the farthest reaches of the earth by saying to them, in verse 8, Acts 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, both Luke 24 verse 46 and Luke 24 verse 47 were to be fulfilled. Both of them. It was as much the purpose of God for both to be fulfilled. Not just that Christ died and suffered from Christ died and rose from the dead, but also that the gospel would go to the nations. Both would be fulfilled, and Luke wants us to see that in Acts chapter 1. Now that makes it vitally important that we commit ourselves to preaching and proclaiming the gospel, speaking about Jesus, because God has declared this to be his purpose. His purpose is for the gospel to go to the nations. He's made it clear. For his gospel to go to the ends of the earth, which includes Robertson and Barawang, and even Barrel. There you go. Um, 
Parochialism is the key, uh, sorry, parochialism is, is the enemy of the gospel. It's the enemy of the gospel. Totally stands in contra, in, 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 it's contrary to it. Totally. A church that claims to be Christian, yet has no concern to get the gospel beyond its doors, is not a Christian church. You see, verse 47 of chapter 24 of Luke's gospel, it's there, you can see it in the green, it's there so we don't limit our mission, our conversations, so we don't limit our prayers. That's why it's there, it's there in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 as well. You know, there's a bit of a theory going around that, um, that most people sitting in church during a sermon only remember the first and the last thing a preacher says. So it's a little bit dangerous me saying this now because we're in the middle, right? Anyway, so focus. You ready? Um, and I guess maybe in God's perfect knowledge of us, therefore, that, it account, that accounts for the Bible being perfectly bookended with statements of his gospel going to all the nations. I'll give you two examples. So look at Genesis, it's up on the screen, Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3, right at the beginning of the Bible. If we ever wondered that that should we pray for our missionary friends overseas? Should we pray for the gospel going out of these doors? If we ever wondered that, let me prove it to you that we should indeed care about it. It starts at the very start of the Bible. I will make you into a great nation, God promised to Abraham, and I'll bless you. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Of course, through Jesus, Abraham's uh, descendant. What about the end of the Bible? Lovely bookends. You are worthy, says to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have, been ma- you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Clearly, mission to all the nations is at the heart of God's purposes. Okay, now let's look at this third point of fulfilment Luke wants Theophilus to know and God wants us to know through his word today. Uh, I've just labelled it the Apostles and the Spirit. Key verses, Luke 48 and 49 and then Acts 1 verse 4 and we'll see how the fulfilment of the promise of the Spirit is indeed part of God's plan. Okay, Luke 24, 48 to 49 makes it clear that the apostles are the witnesses to this gospel and that God will clothe them with the task with power from on high so that they can carry out the task of proclaiming the gospel, which, by the way, includes writing it down so we have the word of God in our hands. In Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, right-hand side of the screen there, Luke reminds his leaders that the apostles baptism in the spirit uh, in a few days time will fulfill the promise about Jesus by John the Baptist and that's back in John chapter 3. See verse 5? For John baptised with water but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus promised back in Luke 24. You see that? When they receive the spirit and, and Pentecost is when that happens, it will clearly be the outworking of God's plan for a purpose. And so in Acts 1, 6-7, Jesus continues to instruct, instruct the apostles, showing them that their primary concern is not Israel, 
their primary concern is receiving the Spirit, empowering them to go and preach the gospel. And Acts 1 verse 8, well, that's the climax, isn't it, really? The Holy Spirit will empower them as apostles to go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. His power is purposeful. That is, it is the power to witness. And in the lives of the, the apostles, the witness will take them further and further out. You see, starting in Jerusalem, out it goes, and to the ends of the earth, well, maybe that is Rome. That's where the Acts of the Apostles finishes. But as we get there, we won't actually get there this year, maybe a few years' time uh, when we come back to the series a couple of times. But Rome um, is where the, the, the Gospel finishes, but, sorry, is where the, the Book of Acts finishes, but the Gospel preaching continues on. I don't know if you can see that very well. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It's a bit like a, bit like a table of contents for the Book of Acts. So... Uh, beginning in Jerusalem the, 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 to the furthest corners of Judea in Samaria and beyond. I, I think this, this helps, but as we look at the Spirit empowering the apostles to do their apostolic work, to witness the gospel, it's a bit like, I guess, their fuel, isn't it? The fuel we put in our cars, you could say. It, it powers them, it, it's, it, it causes their engines to fire. And that's what the Spirit does in our lives, as it did in the apostles' lives, for the gospel to be proclaimed. And it's, the Spirit is not some, you know, E10, unlettered rubbish. It's the full, full premium, you know. It's the premium high octane. It drives God's purposes. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.7 says, the, we have a spirit of power, not of timidity, of love and self-discipline. Now, the apostles, they never lost sight. They never lost sight of, of this commissioning by God to proclaim the gospel as his spirit-empowered witnesses. Jesus' last command to them, we read it in Luke 24, was always in the front of their minds. Let me give you two examples of that. Two examples of, of this spirit-empowered witness. Now, first, you remember Peter. Now, what do you remember about Peter? Right at the end of the gospel. Well, you probably remember Peter hiding out. Him denying Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. You might remember Peter, uh, well, he was hardly very bold, was he? Hiding away, denying Jesus. Well, let me read to you in a moment the same Peter in Acts chapter 4. In chapter 4, he stands in front of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin is the Jewish group of people who put Jesus to death. And we're not talking years after. We're probably talking a matter of weeks, days after Jesus was put to death by the Sanhedrin. Here's Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, in, empowered by the Holy Spirit, standing up in front of that same group. Can you imagine? Pretty hard, isn't it? Well, it'd be up... Oh, did I put this up on the screen? Let's have a look. No, I didn't, actually. Okay. Oh, now I'm all lost. There we go. That's what I want. Let me read to you. It's, if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Acts chapter 4, verse 8. But it, it, maybe you, just, you can close your eyes and try to picture the scene. Here's Peter preaching the gospel to the same group that crucified Jesus. Listen to what he says. And listen to this first phrase. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit... Rulers and elders of the people, he says, 
if we are being, now we, that's Peter and John, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man, and that's in reference to the beggar that was healed in chapter 3, who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. He quotes Psalm 118, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Actually, in fact, in verse 13, I'll stop reading there. In verse 13, we're told that even the Sanhedrin themselves noticed the courage of Peter and John. And why? Because they associated with Jesus. Peter is as he is because the Spirit of God is empowering him to declare Christ as Lord and Saviour. Okay, well, one more example of this God-empowered boldness. Well, Stephen. And we won't go into the full... Uh, story of Stephen, Acts chapter 6 and 7. But in Acts chapter 6, he's described as a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, uh, full of God's grace and power. He's elected to a position that required the fullness of spirit and wisdom. Uh, back in Luke chapter 11, Jesus actually promised the disciples the help of the Holy Spirit when they are brought before the authorities. I wonder if Peter remembered that. And, and Stephen, of course, uh, I wonder if he knew that. But Acts 6 is a fulfilment of that promise, and 7 as well. As the Spirit empowers clear and bold proclamation from Stephen, as he too is hauled in front of the Sanhedrin uh, and on false charges. His speech, his sermon in chapter 7, is an absolute ripper. It's probably, it's hard to say what's the best sermon in the Bible, but it's got to be up there. Fantastic. Have a read of it when you get a chance. Acts chapter 7. And if you ever wondered how the Bible all fits together, that's the chapter to read. Okay, well, let's tie a few things together as we finish up. There's a lot in that, isn't there? A lot to sort of digest. What I want to do now, I want to give you, I want to give you four points to try to remember of why do we study this book? I don't know if you've asked that question. Remember, if you've got kids or you, you, know, you had kids growing up and maybe you've argued with your children, they often ask, um, well... You know, why should we be studying? Why are we studying this subject? Why are we studying that subject? Now, I'm not going to give examples of particular subjects because I don't want to offend the maths teachers. But I will. Oh, sorry, I said that out loud. Um, <laughs> maths they t always get picked on, don't they? I should have said PDHP teachers as an ex-PDHP teacher. <laughs> but people ask, why are we studying this? So why are we studying Acts? Why do we read it? Well. What, is, what will Acts do for me? What will Acts do for you? What, what will Acts do for us? So I've got four things and I've put them up on the screen. Here we go. What studying Acts will do? I'll be pretty quick. Acts will strengthen your trust. See, what we did at the start, we compared the end of Luke's Gospel with the beginning of Acts. In fact, really the end of Acts too, because the Gospel is preached to Rome heart of Gentile territory, all nations. So when we made those comparisons, what were we reminded of? We were reminded that God keeps his promises, that God uh, fulfills his plan, and he always will. 
See, Acts is written to give us certainty that God's plans are always fulfilled. Now, do you know that? Uh, do, you, do you have confidence in this? That God's plans, whatever they are, and we know, obviously, through his word, when we, when we read his word, we find out what they are, whatever they are in his word, well, they're always fulfilled. So it strengthens your trust. It will. It will strengthen your trust. You can, you can look forward to that. Now, will that confidence, I suppose, lead us as a church to be vitally involved in God's continuing mission? That's a, that's a good question to ask, I think. Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1 builds trust in God and therefore, here's our second thing, it erodes self-confidence. It weakens our pride. See, Acts will show us that the power, when I'm talking to my friend about Jesus, Acts will show us that the power is in the message and not in the messenger. It weakens our pride. It's not about me. It's not about how smooth I talk, whether I've got the gift of the gab. It's not about that. God will use me, you, in our frailty to glorify himself by bringing people to trust in the Lord Jesus. Acts helps us to see that self-sufficiency is insufficiency. You hear that? That's what Acts will teach us. Self-sufficiency is actually insufficiency when it comes to the mission of God, when it comes to sharing the gospel with my neighbour. Acts will also widen our vision. So it was said of Charles Wesley, the world was his parish. Great songwriter, hymn writer and preacher. Well, the world is God's parish and it is to be ours as well. See, these words in Acts should revitalise our memories. They should help us to remember the things that are important. Now, things we too often forget. Denominational boundaries, ethnic boundaries, social, economic language, geographical, political boundaries are all immaterial. They matter. They don't matter at all because the world is God's interests and it should be ours as well. His concerns are to be our concerns. If the world is God's concern, if it is the anguish of his heart, if it is his parish, then it should be ours as well. Friends, I want to ask you to drink this down. Drink it in. Drink it in. It is good for us. It is tonic for our souls. How about I pray? And then we'll see if there's any uh, questions or comments, um, words of encouragement to the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your goodness and mercy to us. We thank you, God, that uh, you've given us your word. We thank you for um, Luke, the, the physician, Dr. Luke, uh, thank you, Lord, that he um, uh, put these Gospels together and by your Spirit, he wrote them down. And thank you that we have them today. Thank you, Lord, that they strengthen our trust. Your word weakens our pride, widens our vision, and it re reminds us of the things we need to remember. We pray, Lord, that, that your word in Acts will be tonic for our souls over these next coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.